0: The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your speaker today. Every believer needs to understand who they are in Christ in our new series, Identity Theft. We'll do just that. Help each believer truly know who they are in Christ. Thank you for joining us. We welcome our listeners to the Identity Matters podcast, and I certainly welcome you local people. And we have been blessed with a new meeting place, and we'll be talking a little bit about that as we uh, share the word and where the word is being shared here locally. But we do welcome you to the podcast. We have been in the middle of a, a mini series on the millennials. I gotta explain this just a little bit is that after doing well over a year's worth of research on this generation I have found something very interesting about this generation and the first thing I discovered is that the Millennials and when I use the term Millennials I'm not saying everyone my daughter's a millennial who's sitting here and she doesn't fit more than 2% I won't tell her what 2% of the millennials she does fit, but she just doesn't fit the bill. So I'm talking about the typical millennials. The greatest lion's share of the millennials are what they classify as millennial atheists. Now, the term atheist is ridiculous because everyone does have a God, and if someone says I'm an atheist, they're actually confessing that I am God. I have decided whether there is a living God of the universe. Do you know how stupid that is? How ridiculous that proclamation is? They've decided there is no God? Okay, that's why it is a religion. Their religion is themselves. So, we got this huge number of Millennials that fit into this category. We have another group of millennials, 36% of them, that fit into the category of following this millennial Jesus. We've been talking about the millennial Jesus in every single podcast. Remember the one that we did on Jesus is a Democrat? Tons of hits on that one. Why? It's a topic that is relevant in the world today, and they really believe that Jesus works for them cuckoo, because Jesus works for his father. So that's what we're going to talk about today and next week. And many of the weeks coming, we are going to be addressing the Hebrew design and role of the father. We're going to be talking about the Hebrew design of the son, and we're going to be talking about the Hebrew design of woman. Since the millennial generation fights authority being dominated over them as they would see it, and then we would probably see it as authority being demonstrated over them. Since they have a huge issue with authority, they have huge issues with the original family. Someone please tell me who was the original family? There's this awesome, book that is out. It's called Faithful Father and the Bride of Christ. But in there, basically this author explains these roles, which is what our sermons are going to be about for the next while. It is explaining the dynamic of the original family, which is God the Father, and then you have the Son, you have the Holy Spirit, and then you have three archangels underneath them. And then under each archangel, you had a third of the angelic beings. So who were the archangels or are still the archangel? Right. So when the scriptures talk about in his tail took one third of the angels, when he was kicked out of heaven and his tail swung around, remember Book of Revelation? Shannon and I were just talking to a pastor recently and he was sharing with us how fun it was to take his people through every single book in the New Testament except for the book of Revelation, the book that is ignored by the church. So when you use illustrations of Ezekiel and Daniel and Jeremiah, and a lot of these real strong prophets, and when you talk about the tale of a dragon swinging around as he's being tossed out of heaven and he takes a third of the angels, people are like, really? That sounds like Disney. That is evidence that the enemy is successful in cartoonizing a reality that is too real for the real church. That's evidence of that. When they give more credit to Disney than they do to the original one who drew out this Hebrew pictorial of a dragon with this long tail, swooping as he's being tossed out of heaven like a bolt of lightning, his tail is swinging around and grabbing a third of those he treasures the most. They became demons. Okay, then you have Gabriel and a third of the angels and they are responsible for delivering the messages of the living God. You say, oh, that was just Old Testament before Jesus could deliver the messages. No, they're still here. Beware, at least you entertain angels unaware. You might be sitting next to one right now. The other third, you've got Michael the archangel, and those are the warring angels. And their job, they even though they do fight him without you seeing it or realizing it, Their real day of warfare is coming. That is the original family. So what Satan has done is he's come in to create this fantasy of these figures. So when a preacher stands up and he's preaching strongly about, let's say, the Lucifer who got his name taken away... So, when this new television show started using the name Lucifer, it is a reversal. It's the enemy saying, I will steal back my original identity. (coughs) Angel of light. His real name is Satan, which means dark spirit or dark serpent. So, there you have it. So, now, When it comes to our culture today, relating to these things I'm sharing with you, when it comes to our culture today, people are able to identify with cartoons, the millennial generation, or gaming. And within gaming, which I don't think there's anyone who's going to disagree with this statement. 602-292-2982, within the gaming world, it is based on demonic imagery. So even the idea of American soldiers shooting other soldiers and the person who's playing the other soldiers sitting next to you and you're gaming away at murder, mayhem, and disaster. It's demonic. Those things are easily accepted within our church today. In fact... Those of you parents who are listening, you need to take your cell phones away from your children and do not allow your children to have tablets in churches. I know you're using them as babysitters just to get them through the service and keep their mouth shut and not be disrespectful to the pastor. When you use distractions to babysit your children, you are actually setting your children up to dishonor authority in the later years, instead of being attentive, instead of taking notes themselves. You don't need to be 25 to take notes with with the uh, pastor's sermon. This is what we're warring with today. And what ends up happening is we lose. The churches are losing. I was just reading yesterday to get Caught up with the statistics on the church Sue Barna Group and Pew Survey, other places that I go, and we are on a fast crash course as a church in regard to church attendance. The increase of online churches is grown exponentially just in twenty sixteen is that people are moving away from the church because if we live in a generation where it's difficult to look someone in the eyes and and say, I really appreciate you, it'd be easier if they just stuck to texting because at least you're getting the words pretty clear. Wow, this kid appreciates me. But when they're standing in front of you, their eyes are going all over the place because they cannot look authority in the face without being uncomfortable. Well, how in the world are they going to have a relationship with them? And then resulting in, how in the world can they be told what to do? The Z generation is going to be the worst you have ever seen. There's this little girl who is has a mommy and a daddy and they are not married. And they basically allow this little girl, and she's what, four, uh, four years of age, get up in the morning, she crawls up into her own her own high chair, instead of the low chair. In her high chair, she feeds herself whatever she wants, whatever's available. When she's done, she's done. She gets down and she grabs her tablet and she goes and sits down and God only knows what she watches on the tablet. Four years of age. She has her own cell phone. Four years of age. This is our Z generation. This will be, listen to me carefully at 602, this will be the reason the UN will require the same thing that Canada Norway, many other European countries are functioning with under right now. And that is the government owns your children. Because parents are tossing their, their children. These are the millennial parents. They're tossing their children to the world of technology. And even government officials say there's something wrong with this culture. You think that millennials are peace-loving people? You know, as I said to you, I was kind of badgering back and forth with some comments with Sean Hannity. Last night, he finally got back to me with and he said, great point. And the point that I basically was making because of this streaming of stuff coming against our president, is that this generation who claims to be world peace, peace, are the most violent people I have ever seen in history. There's no reasoning with them. Their peace, their their keeping their children happy in this case, is not peace. It's going to create a generation that's going to have to be monitored by the government. You see, but you Americans, you're not listening to me. You're not listening to other teachers who got an edge on this prophecy thing that's affecting America, that's affecting education. You're not getting it. You think we're kind of special. We're not like Canada. We're not like Norway. We're not like France. We're not like some of these other countries where the government says, we're tired of you millennial mommies and daddies because you have no clue how to take care of your children. We're going to take care of your children. Is that not how Canada is? Here we have it. We're in this situation where Generation Z is being raised by technology. And what do you get on the other end of that? Full control of them. We are in a discussion today at, at lunch about really what does decide the generations. We started hanging on and labeling generations after World War II. We had baby boomers and whatever they wanted to name these special groups. From that time forward because of marketing. It's all about Marketing. In order to market, you have to capture the human's mind. In order to capture the human's mind, you got to find out where they like, what playgrounds they like to play in. And then when you find out where they like to play in, then you start sending them advertisements. So therefore, they start selling ads that match a certain uh, survey. The millennial generation, it's all about nature. Preserving mother nature. That's how they do it. And they get a culture labeled after them. And the Generation Z has already been given their label. They shall be the children of technology. You say, well, I thought that's what millennials were. Oh no. You're just learning what apps are. I know the power of an app. I actually can decide with my app how much I want to push you. It's called pushings, and it shows up on the top of the left of your phone. Little messages I I I could send you, and I've decided not to use my pushings, and I have a limitless supply of them. But that's how they do it. And if you've got, I have 86 apps on my phone. Every app uses pushings. And they can gather data from your phone. And then you can decide how you're going to market them. It's what apps are for. You don't even know that, what I just said. 602-292-2982. Ignorance is not bliss. You're setting the generation for, for these Zs. And these Kids from Generation Z are not going to be curious about a new app. Do you understand that? You're giving them the app world right now. All they know is if they touch it, this fun thing pops up on the screen. And then how the coding has worked is how the advertiser controls the child or the educator. And they'll take you anywhere they want after that. That is the generation we actually have to look forward to. Before we go on any further, I want to uh, do our book of the week. This is one of the more powerful books I've ever used in my studies. The Spiritual Man by Watchman Nee. It's pretty extensive. But some of the stuff that he covers in here is spirit, soul, body. Then he breaks it down just dealing with the relationship between the spirit and the soul. talks about the fall of man and what true, real salvation is. That's just in the introduction. Then he goes into dealing with the flesh, and there's five heavy points there of what the flesh, what the word says the flesh is really all about and what it wants to accomplish. Part three is about the soul. That's the mind, will, and emotions. And then he begins to show you how they bleed into each other. The flow of the spirit through every one of those areas versus the flow of the flesh. He is one of the first ones that actually took time to write about the flesh being the mirrored image of Satan. That's not a Finney original or a Solomon original or any other author out there. It is a biblical principle that the flesh is the radiant angel of light. It's the radiant image of Satan. So it can look really good. It can look very Christian. And you'll go to hell. You see, these are the things the enemy is counting on is going to work in the church. Oh, pray for for so-and-so because they're struggling with whatever. And we're not even checking to see if God's using that affliction to bring them to their face before the living God to ask this single question, will you please forgive me for being a sinner on my way to hell? And I'm not of your family, and I want to be of your family, and please transform my life to be a part of your family. Do you think Jesus is going to look at that person and go, not going to do it? Any soul that is broken to that level of being able to look at the truth of themselves And the mirrored reflection of Satan versus I want the mirrored reflection of Christ. They will not be turned away. They're on the list. And what are we doing? We're praying for people to be comforted and well cared for or to get out of depression or to whatever and they're going to hell. I mean... It's just ridiculous what has happened to the church. Pastors are no longer concerned about people being deceived and drifting off to the gates of hell. They're more concerned about making sure that budget's taken care of. The demands of the American industrial society affected the church more than what the church wants to admit. We have built some of the biggest, fanciest structures. There's a church in Phoenix, and I'm still decent friends with a couple of the leaders in this church, but this church's annual budget, this is what we determine through one of the pastors and my buddy in Uganda, political buddy, we determined that the church's annual budget was twice as high as the annual budget of Uganda. You know what that says? That one church, instead of having Hollywood productions, could take care of an entire country and probably the Congo next to it. And their entire budget. That's the culture the church is going to be saying goodbye to very, very soon. So I would pick up this book and start going through it. you got to be a reader, I'm afraid. It's a very thick book, but it's thorough. Watch a in book, The Spiritual Man. You can uh, have access to ordering that book by going onto our website, drop down menu, book of the week. Click on book of the week and you'll see it right there. Click on the, the, the uh, book cover and it'll take you right to, uh, ordering the book. We don't get any profits from this. This is just purely recommending what we believe, uh, you should be reading and studying case I did not mention, this is 159 of the Identity Matter series. We're just starting to talk about millennials resisting the father figures. And we hope you hang out with us as we get through this whole uh, mini-series on the millennials because we have a lot to cover. This is our scripture that Steve uh, read to us a few minutes ago. And in this scripture, we basically have the prophet who is basically laying out, not the warning, the warning had already been given. You see, rebellious people don't care about warnings. In fact, they're turned on by them. It's a challenge. Oh, really? Come on, bring it on. That's typically how bullies or rebellious people handle warnings. It's like stepping up and, and saying, you want to mess with this? You see? And that attitude of you want to mess with this is because basically they felt you threatened them, warned them. That's how Satan is. Isaiah's coming along and saying, oh, l- let me just put this in perspective a little bit. You're doomed. This is not going to turn out well. Do you know how many thousands of years ago this was written? You see, Satan doesn't read the future. You say, that's not true because fortune tellers have been able to be very precise in telling the future. Now let me show you how this works. You go to a fortune teller and you sit down and they look at the cracks in your hand, which seems to be just so ridiculous to me. What are the... Cracks in my hand have to do with who I'm going to marry and how long my marriage is going to last. That just cracks me up. But they look at the cracks in your hands and they say, you're going to meet a stranger in two days. And this stranger is going to offer you a $20 bill. You need to take the $20 bill. And thank them for the $20 bill. And on that $20 bill is going to be a handwritten note of what city you're supposed to go to. Go to that city. And I'm, of course, I'm wrapped up with my fancy little headdress, my beads, and I'm a good you know, prophet for the devil. So you get up and leave. Two days later, someone comes up to you and offers you a $20 bill. You look on the $20 bill and it says New York City. You're like I've got to go to New York City. Do you understand when it comes out of that person's mouth, demons can take action on it then and make it happen. And it gives this grave appearance that there was there was some kind of foreknowledge into the future. In reality, until it's said, it cannot be manipulated by Satan. And this is what Isaiah is doing, is saying, let me let you in on this piece of truth. You're worse than maggots. Kings will look down upon you, etc., etc., etc. So that's what's happened. The millennial Jesus actually rejects the original family. So in spite of what millennials tend to believe, the original family is not about to be broken up by an angel, angel of light slash Satan, who thinks himself to be a father. Because the scriptures actually say that Satan is the father of lies. Now here's how it works. You can't be a child of Satan a spiritual child of Satan, unless you're a liar. You ever heard of the passage of liars don't go to heaven? You ever read any any of the verses that deal with liars and how tough the Lord is on liars? All of us lie by behavior or by mouth, but we're talking people of lies. These are his children. If you're a compulsive liar, this is what you need to evaluate. He's the father of lies. He's the father of those who live the lie. And that is the majority of our millennial generation. He will not offer his seat to anyone, angel or man. God, the Father, considers it a major violation for any being to attempt to be like Him or take on the role of the Father. You see, you can mess with Jesus all day long. You can say His name in vain, and that's all you do is change the voice inflection on Jesus Christ. You can sing Jesus Christ in worship. Or you can be frustrated and say, Jesus Christ. And you know this person is an indwelt. You know they don't know him. And you, you're listening to it and you want to go, Excuse me? You know, that's my husband you're talking about. No, I'm not gay. But that's my husband you're talking about. Could you not do that? They're not going to understand. They are people of a lie. And they do have a daddy. So the father himself will not tolerate any damnation on him. The son was designed to handle that stuff. I think that's why he came. I mean, he, he took on abuse of name calling to spittings, to beatings, to, you know, God only knows how long the list really is. But no one messes with the father without being removed. Nobody. You want to swear? I'm actually telling you today it's better to say Jesus Christ than it is to say God damn it. Don't. Say it. The Father takes offense immediately. Now can you be forgiven? Of course you can. But you're not going to get that forgiveness unless you're indwelt. Yes, you cannot be forgiven unless you're saved. You cannot be forgiven unless you're of the Father of the universe. And it just happens to be as you're going through that birthing canal, every sin you ever committed gets forgiven instantly. It's a wonderful thing. But if you're going to somehow think we have a loving God that forgives you and you're as dead as your doorknob you're about to touch, boy, are you deceived. Are you children of a lie? Who's your daddy? Forgiveness, grace, love, peace, fruit, all of that can only be enjoyed after you become indwelt, not before. Pray for your dying friend who's going to hell so they become indwelt. But don't pray that God removes some kind of physical ailment in their life When he's actually using that that physical attack on their body to lead them to salvation. There's no better reason for physical ailments than to embrace the truth of intimacy of what God wants from it and through it. You've been listening to Identity Matters Podcast. We appreciate having you join us today. Feel free to log on to our website at www.iomamerica.org. We have lots of resources available for you on the believer's identity in Christ. Again, thank you for joining us.